friendship uh, to me, and and uh, he spoke here before at our church, and I'm looking forward to tonight. So I hope that you'll uh, I hope you'll get a blessing from what he has to share with us. That's your water. I didn't drink anything out of it. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter number five. This evening, Matthew, chapter number five, and I, I should have brought up in, in the prayer request time. Um, but I just pray for us. We have a we have a wayward son who has run away from home, um, and last I heard, he was in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, enrolled in some some college out there. I don't know. You say, Pastor Wardell, that, that sounds a lot like he's in the will of God and in Bible college. I can tell the story how I want to tell it, okay? It's my story. I can put whatever spin on it I want. So he's run away from home and he's out of the will of God. Um, anyway, um, we are so thank- <clears throat> thankful to be here. Um, this church means a lot to us. This church is a home away from home for me. It's nice to be able to come to a church and know people there and see familiar faces and um we are so thankful. In 2014, we went through a, a uh, difficult time in ministry and um, a time that we needed healing, and we came here. And Pastor Cross um, loved on us. Um, Pastor Cross, Miss Denise, they loved on us, and they counseled us, and they helped us heal. And um, that was an important year in our life. Um, and we were here, in fact, we were here um, when Pastor Cross passed away. Um, we remember, we were there, um, remember that day we went to the, to his house and we sang songs for them? We, we were there, um, and, and, uh, it was, it was special to us, and they uh, will always be special to us. Um, and then Pastor Campbell came along, and, um, well, he didn't come along, he's been here all along, but he came as, as, to become the pastor, and, and he filled that role immediately in my life as a friend that I can turn to and counsel. And um, I appreciate his friendship. Um, him and his wife are, are dear to us. Uh, we, went, we went out yesterday, and, um, and they took us out, bought us dinner, um, got us ice cream at Cruz Farms. And, uh, man, that is good ice cream. And uh, we really enjoyed that. So uh, all of that to say that we are thankful to be here. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 this evening. And we'll look at the first six verses. And there's portions of scripture that when I say we're going to go to this chapter in this book, that something you ought to automatically know, hey, I know what's going on in that chapter. And this is one of them. Um, this is the this is Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. This is a very, very important chapter. Um, not that there's any such thing as an unimportant chapter, but this is a chapter that we all should know. Um, when I say Matthew chapter 5, you should say, well, I know where we're going with that. Um, but Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was uh, set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit, um, what that means uh, is uh, somebody who does not see themselves as rich in anything. Um, as far as ability, I have no ability. I'm poor. I'm bankrupt. As far as uh, finances, I'm poor. As far as wealth and as far as health, as far as anything in life, uh, the person who will see themselves as poor and dependent on Jesus Christ, that is poor in spirit. And that's very important to be. 
Um, it's very important to see yourself as there is nothing that I have that Jesus Christ did not give me. And, and, and really, it's just on loan from him. Um, and that's poor in spirit. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are times we should be mourning. I think right now we ought to be mourning over our nation and the condition of our nation. And the Bible says you're blessed when you mourn. Uh, by the way, blessed means happy. It's kind of a, a contradiction, it sounds like. Happy are those who mourn. But that's what the Bible teaches. And then blessed are they are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And uh, meek is just, meek is just, uh, it's not, it's not weakness. I, I think Adrian Rogers always said um, meekness is not weakness. Um, meekness is power under control. And saying whatever, whatever power, whatever ability, whatever authority that I have, um, it is yielded to the spirit of God and it's yielded to God and it's under control. And then verse number six of what we're going to talk about, it says, uh, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. I pray that you would lead and guide in the study ahead, Father, that you might be glorified in everything that's said. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus continues his sermon. It really, the, the, the Beatitudes really have to do um, with his kingdom. Uh, it's a kingdom attitude, the attitude we ought to have. And, um, and so he's talking about kingdom living, and now he's going to turn to the subject of righteousness. Now, in God's economy, righteousness both imputed and imparted, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but in the life of a believer is very vital to his kingdom. Now, each of us possess items we consider absolute necessities, which are in reality not necessities. We live in a day and age where we make things necessity, like, like uh, coffee or AC in your, in your car. And some people, I mean, we, we're moving to Florida. That's a necessity. Um, washer and dryer. How many, how many of you ladies would say that's a necessity? And yet, other than the coffee, none of that really is necessities. Coffee is, but everything else is not. In fact, you'd be surprised that the majority of the world went on today without any of those items. And in the midst of of the COVID, remember the epidemic in 2020, when that started, when they began identifying things that are essential, or workers that are essential. But yet, there's only two things really essential. Food and water. That's it. That's all that's essential for, our, for us to live. So our, our entire society tried defining what's essential and what's not. Now, we're going to look at the spiritual man this, this evening. And, 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 and really, the spiritual man has a lot of similarities with the physical person. Your spiritual self has a lot of things that your spiritual self uh, has that are the same. Um, for instance, did you know that just like uh, your physical self, uh, can hear things. Your spiritual self can hear things. Um, John ten four four. The Bible says, "And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." That's not physical hearing. That's spiritual hearing. His sheep know his voice. Anyone who reads God's words daily, uh, God's word daily, knows that there are times when God is speaking directly to you. Have you ever read a portion of scripture and, and you got somewhere and you saw something that maybe you've read that a hundred times through, but you saw something that time you never saw before? 
Because God spoke to you in a way he hadn't spoken to you before. And spiritually, you heard God. And so we can hear. Did you know that just like a physical man can see, a spiritual man can see also? In Ephesians 1.18, the Bible says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling uh, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the Bible says that your eyes of understanding may be enlightened. That's your spiritual eyes. How? And again, there are times we read God's word and we don't understand it, and then suddenly we read it and the light turns on. And God opens our eyes. And we have an understanding that we did not have before. And God does that. So we can hear spiritually. We can, we can see spiritually. Do you know that just like a physical man can hunger, the spiritual man can also hunger? Uh, only Christ can satisfy that. By the way, he says, I am the bread of life. John 4, 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him uh, shall be in him a well of, of water springing unto everlasting life. So, so we thirst and we hunger, and the only thing that can satisfy that thirst and that hunger is Jesus Christ. Amen. But we do hunger. So we're going to look about hungering as it mentioned in verse number six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. And the first thing we're going to look at is what, what, what spiritual hunger means to us. What does it mean when I hunger after the things of God? And there's a few things that means. Number one, that means that you're alive. Do you know it's impossible for a person who's living to never be hungry? Never be physically hungry. You're hungry at times. There's times that you, you just want to go out and get something to eat. There's some, there's times that you're just hungry. Uh, how many's ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of breatharianism? Anybody ever hear that? Um, it's weird. It's really weird. It's a belief that people can live off of the energy of the universe instead of food and water. And th- that's an actual belief. Th- there's people that say that, that you can go on without food, without water your entire life, and, and, and they believe that you can live off of the energy uh, of, of, the, uh, of the earth and the universe, uh, that you can live off of the light that the sun gives you, and uh, kind of like photosynthesis. And there's a number of people that do this, that try to do this. How many would be surprised if I told you there's a no- number of people that try doing this that are dead now? Does that surprise you? There's a number of people believing in this thing. I, 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 you can look up on Wikipedia, um, and they'll tell you about people who died. And there's a person kind of over it. Her name was once Ellen Green, and, uh, and, and she changed her name to Juham, I think Juzmahim, I think is her name, Juzmahim. Now, this is going to be advice that's worth coming tonight. If somebody has a philosophy or a religion or anything that causes them to change their name to something you can't pronounce, don't follow them. That's free. I mean, if you can't pronounce it and they change it for the religion, don't follow them. Don't do that. And, and, and there's people who've died. And this is a person who's written books on this. Um, Judge Mahim, and, and she, she's kind of leads the whole thing now, and, 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 and there's people that have died, and, and, and they've come to her and asked her, um, you know, is this your fault? Is it because of your teaching? And, and she said, you know, there's some people that you've got to find what, what light feeds you. And if you find the wrong light, then you could die of food 
deprivation, and, and you, could, you could die that way. Uh, so you have to find the light that's right for you, which is very convenient. It makes it not their fault that these people are dying. And, and so they did, a, I think, 60 Minutes in, in Australia. I didn't know there was 60 Minutes in Australia, but there was. And they did this thing with her, and they, they said, you're going to have to prove this. And so we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to follow you. We're going to keep cameras on you, and we're going to watch your life, and you're not going to eat anything. And, and she went for several days, and she started dehydrating, and her speech started slowing down, and things started happening. Her eyes started uh, dilating and things like that, and, and they said, you're really sick. And she said, well, that's because the air around me is polluted. I need better air. And they brought her to a place outside in the mountains where there's fresher air. And for a little while, she acted like she was doing better, but in reality, they tested her, and she was doing worse. And they had to stop the experiment because if they would have went for, for, further, then, then she would have had kidney failure. And so they went inside her house, and in her refrigerator, her refrigerator was stocked with food. And then she said, she said this, she said, she said, that's all for my second husband. He eats that. You know what it is? It's for her. Let's be honest. Because if you're alive, you get hungry. If you're alive, you have to eat. And just like in the physical realm, it's impossible for a person who's spiritually alive to never be hungry. Although it seems like there's a lot of spiritual breatharians in the world. If you're spiritually alive, if Jesus Christ has given you life, you're going to be hungry. That's a sign of it. And I worry when I see a Christian who never seems to be spiritually hungry after the things of God. Uh, you know, the unsaved person has an appetite for sin. The spiritually dead man has no spiritual appetite at all. Uh, you know, one person that's never hungry is a dead person. I mean, you, you can go to Powell's, you can get a hamburger, you can go to a funeral home, uh, you can find somebody in a casket, and, and you can offer them that hamburger. And if they eat the hamburger, they're faking it. They're not dead. Because dead people don't eat. And spiritually dead people don't get hungry either. Uh, but, but spiritually alive people do. And the Christian is compared to sheep which enjoy still waters and green pastures. And they get hungry. You know what it means when you're hungry? It means that you're healthy. You know, a good sign that someone is healthy is a return of their appetite. We had a cat growing up. That, that, that's already made Pastor Mark upset. We had, we had a cat growing up. And our cat's name was Mickey. I, th- I always thought that was ironic um, because cats kill mice and our cat was named Mickey, like Mickey Mouse. Um, and, and, our cat, and, and, and our cat did. Our cat would bring mice home as trophies for us. Um, isn't that fun? Our dog's never done that. But our, our cat got sick. Our, our cat went outside and drank some antifreeze. Came inside and was really sick. We didn't know what she, what, what, what she had gotten into. And so we took our cat to, uh, to, the, to the vet, and the vet said, your cat's going to die. And our cat wasn't eating our day. Our cat was sick and just sat there. And, and we said, can we take our cat home for about an hour and just say goodbye? And, uh, and, and the vet let us do that. And we took our cat home. And uh, while we were saying goodbye to our cat, our cat got up, went to her food bowl, and ate. We called the vet and said, our cat just ate. And our vet said, well, then don't take your cat in. Your cat might live. And our cat did live. In fact, our cat 
changed. I don't know what happened with our cat, but our cat went from being in mice home to bringing squirrels and, and raccoons decapitated to us. I don't know if our cat survived or became demon-possessed. I have no idea. But the sign that our cat was alive, was going to live, was the fact that our cat became hungry again. And hunger is a sign of health. Hunger is a sign that you're healthy. Uh, it's tragic when a Christian has an appetite for everything but Christ. And in Luke 15, the prodigal son, we know that story. He desires the world's excitement. Uh, he, and one day he, he wakes up and he's in a pig pen because that's what sin does. That's the end of it. By the way, parents, if you have a son or a daughter that has no spiritual appetite whatsoever, you might try to excuse it saying, well, it's just a phase they're going through. That's a very dangerous phase. That's something I wouldn't just ignore. That's something I would pay very close attention to. Uh, and, and I don't expect them to be, to, to be on the level of, of a Charles Spurgeon, but they ought to have some interest in the things of God. Uh, and you know, the prodigal's father was very concerned. He was broken heart over it. He did not dismiss it as a phase in their life. Uh, he was very, very broken hearted about it. Luke 15, 17, the Bible says uh, of the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He was hungry. You know, God had to take away all the worldly food for the prodigal son to realize his true hunger, and that the only one that could satisfy it would be his father. Now, if you aren't hungering for his righteousness, You've either never been spiritually born or you filled yourself with garbage. You filled yourself with the garbage of the world. As a pastor, I've seen some people in church who are always asking questions. They're always sharing what God. Have you ever met somebody that the conversation is going to go to the Bible every time? And I've met people like that. They're just, hey, Pastor Waddell, I want to talk to you about something I read this week in the Bible. And it was so exciting. And I've met people like that. And I've met other people that never want to go to the Bible. That never seem to be hungry. That's never asking, oh, no, can you further explain what happened in, uh, in your sermon? I was a little confused on this. Can you help me with this? They're just not hungry. There's some that are and there, there's some that aren't. And I've, I've preached sermons and I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Waddell, I've, I'm leaving the church because I'm just not getting fed. And in the exact same service, I've had other people come up to me and say, Pastor, that's everything I needed in the sermon today. Same sermon, different response. One was hungry, one was not. Can I say this? It doesn't have to be the world's best preacher. It doesn't have to be the world's best message. But if you come hungry for the word of God and the word of God is open, you ought to get something out of it. I used to do this. This is when I, I was early in my marriage and I have learned. Uh, you know, I, I, I would work all day and, I, you know, Around 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, uh, I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd get a late lunch, and I would go to McDonald's, and I'd grab some garbage there, and uh, I would eat it, and I would come home, and about 5 o'clock, my wife would have, have dinner ready. And I would sit there, and I would stare at the plate. And my wife would look at me with those eyes. Someone once said, that he married his wife for her looks, but not, but not that look. You know? <laughs> and she gave me that look. And she said, what did you eat? 
And I realized I should not have gone to McDonald's at 2 or 3 o'clock a couple of hours before dinner. I should not have done that. You know that they have, they have an app now? Um, it's Life360, and they have other apps like that. Um, and it's supposed to be for keeping track of your kids. You can put it in their kid's phone, and you, and you can watch where they're at. You can see how fast they're driving. You can see all that. But I think sometimes wives use that for husbands. Wonder where he's at? He's going a little fast. What is he doing at Burger King? You know, and and and, and my wife doesn't do that, but um, but, but I, I I don't know. <laughs> um, but we, I would come home, and I had eaten something else, and I would not be hungry for the good food that was put before me. I think spiritually we get that way. And we get filled up on things like Netflix and worldly novels and carnal music and social media. And we just aren't hungry for God's table. We get filled with the world's junk and we, and we forget, uh, as the songwriter says, that Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Are you hungry? I want to notice not only what it means to be hungry to us, uh, that means that we're alive. It means that we're healthy. But it also, uh, I want to notice what we hunger. You know, the saying goes, you are what you eat, right? A couple of you guys knew that. You are what you eat, right? And uh, the object of spiritual hunger is righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's the object. Matthew six thirty three. the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And there are two kinds of righteousness. Uh, number one, there's imputed righteousness. Now, imputed righteousness means uh, that at salvation, the moment we are saved, uh, God declared us to be righteous. We did nothing for this. All we did was believe on Christ, and God did everything. We, we, we didn't have to do that. I did not have to make myself righteous. I am righteous. Now, it's my job to start acting it. But I'm righteous. Because God declared me to be righteous. Romans 3.24, the Bible says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified means to be declared righteous. You've all heard this. It means just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us. And so we're righteous. And God is not pleased when a person merely comes to church. God is not pleased when a person merely gets baptized. Can I tell you what God is pleased with? God is pleased with his own son's sacrifice at Calvary. That's what he's pleased with. And when you accept Christ's sacrifice at Calvary, God is pleased with the sacrifice of his son, and you are justified by his blood, because that's what pleases God the Father. It's imputed. But then it's imparted. What does that mean? Imparted uh, it means it's, it's given to a seeking heart. This is, this is practical righteousness. This is day by day righteousness. Uh, you have to seek, uh, with your heart, uh, that righteousness that God gives us. Uh, it's not talking about our position, but it's talking about our practice. Righteousness, being right with God, being right with self, being right with others. 
Another word for it would be holiness. And it's only given when you're hungering for God. You, you have to hunger after righteousness. You have to seek righteousness. And the more that we're satisfied with His holiness, uh, the more we're dissatisfied with sin. Modern churches have gone away from preaching on righteousness. And what that does for churches is stick to the word of God. Biblical churches is we have to pick up the slack and we look like the bad guys. We look hateful. Uh, me and Pastor Campbell were talking uh, yesterday about the United Methodist Church and the direction they're going in. And they're, they're, they're heading right for this wake movement, this woke movement. They're heading right for the LGBTQ movement. They're heading right for all of that. And the more they do that, the more we're going to look like the bad guys. Because we're sticking to the Bible. And we're going to look bad because of that. I pastored a church in Massachusetts, and there was a couple there that was angry at me because I preached against sodomy. Uh, and I came to find out uh, that the reason they were angry is because they had a homosexual son. Now, I was mean-spirited. In fact, I said, if there's, a, if there's a, a homosexual that comes to our church, we're going to love them like we love anybody else. I said, I believe with my whole heart that a homosexual can be saved just like anybody else can. And I do. And there's a lot of hateful preachers, some of them on the Internet, that say opposite. There's a preacher on the Internet that you can listen to that will tell you he wished he had a bun that could kill every homosexual out there, and he would do that with it. I don't think that's Christ-like. I don't think it is. But we do have to preach against sin. And by the way, a person who really cares about you is going to tell you some things that you don't want to hear. You have somebody that only tells you things that you want to hear. You might want to watch out for that friendship. The fact that a doctor hates cancer means he cares enough to tell somebody you have cancer and we have to get rid of it. Not because he hates the person. I mean, nobody wants to tell somebody they have cancer. But if that doctor cares about that person, he's going to tell them you have cancer. He's going to tell them we have to do everything we can to get that cancer out of you. Not, oh, you have cancer, but you know what? You know, the cancer's good, and, 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 and I love you anyway, and you just go ahead with it. That's not love. Love is we've got to get this out of you. Love is we've got to, we've got to find a way to cure you. Uh, and, and folks, a Christian who hates sin cares about the person whom the sin is destroying. It's a cancer. It's a spiritual cancer. And so we care about them. Now, I don't want to get the wrong ideal. Holiness is not just separation from sin. Holiness is also separation to God. There's a from and there's a to. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Let me say that if you, if you truly draw close to God, you're automatically going to lose your interest in the world. If your only emphasis is to get away from the world and not to draw close to God, let me say you might get away from the world for a little while, but it's not going to last. You have to draw close to God. Psalm 97.10, the Bible says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Listen to how he says, you love the Lord and you hate evil. It's not just I hate evil. It's not just separation from evil. But I love the Lord. It's drawing near to Christ. It's doing both at the same time. And there's a principle throughout the scriptures of putting on, I'm sorry, putting off and putting on. See how much time we have left. Um, Putting off and putting on. Can you do this? Can you go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me? Ephesians chapter 4. 
And, and this portion of scripture shows this principle so obvious so many times. And the mentality that we have is that if I get rid of the sin in my life, then I'm going to be okay. If I put this thing in my life that's bad off, if I take that off, I'm going to be okay. But that's not true. That's only half of it. You have to, you have to replace it. You have to put something on. In fact, you have to put the Lord Jesus Christ on. And Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see this everywhere. Starting in verse number 22, the Bible says that ye put off concerning the former conversation of uh, the, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the Bible says, put off the old man, but don't stop there. Look at 24. And that ye, what? Put on the new man. It's not just putting off the old man, but it's putting on the new man, uh, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, therefore putting away or putting off, lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. What is it saying? You put off lying, but you put on the truth. It's not enough to put off lying. You have to put on truth, uh, for we are members of one of another. Then verse 26, uh, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give pace to the devil. Let him that stole, steal no more. You could say that's a put off. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. That's putting on. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, uh, but that which is good for the, the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Put off corrupt communication, put on good communication. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereeth ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking uh, be put away or put off from you with all malice. And be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Those are things to put on. And we fall short because we think the Christian life is a list of things we don't do. And we put off things. And then we wonder why we keep failing over and over and over again because we did not put things on. Let me ask you this question. Um, if I was a thief... When would I cease to be a thief? If I was a thief, if you knew a thief, at what point would they cease to be a thief? Anybody have an answer to that? If someone was a thief, when would, when would they stop being a thief? When they stop stealing. Okay, I set a trap for you because that's the wrong answer. And I knew you would answer that. I'm a bank robber. I'm not. But I'm a bank robber, and I robbed a bank um, last last Friday. I'm not planning on robbing a bank again till next Friday. Does that mean when I stopped robbing banks there, I quit being a bank robber, yes or no? No. But I stopped robbing banks for a couple weeks. Is that not enough to make me no longer a bank robber? No. I mean, the person who's a murderer isn't always murdering. The person who's a liar isn't always lying. So the moment they stop does not mean that they're not that anymore. Uh, it doesn't mean that. Uh, you, we want to know when a thief is not a thief. Let me ask you a question very similar. When is a caterpillar not a caterpillar? When it's a butterfly. 
A caterpillar is not a caterpillar when it's something else. When it becomes something else. Not when it stops being a caterpillar. Chances are, if if it just stopped being a caterpillar, it's probably dead. A caterpillar ceases to be a caterpillar when it becomes something else. When it becomes a butterfly. When does a thief stop being a thief? When he becomes something else. Look at verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more. They stopped, right? But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Before he just took from people dishonestly. Now he's giving to people honestly with a good heart. What has he done? He hasn't just quit stealing. He's become something else altogether. He's a giver now. How do you stop doing bad? You start, you start becoming something different. And, and that's what the Bible teaches over and over again. Zacchaeus is a great example of this. Zacchaeus, from my understanding of his story, Zacchaeus was, was a, was a chief, uh, tax collector. And from what I understand when I read it, some of his businesses that he did was not exactly honest. There are people he took from dishonestly. There's people he took advantage of dishonestly. And when he got saved, he said, if there's anybody that I have stolen from, I have taken dishonesty from, I will repay them and more. When did Zacchaeus quit being a thief? When he became a giver. When Christ created something else. By the way, when we're saved, the Bible says we have become a new what? Creature. That's a different animal altogether. We're not the same, we're not even the same species anymore when we're saved. We're a new creature. It's, it's from the word creation. We're, 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 it's, it's like a, a cat becoming a dog. That would be a big step forward, right? We're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. It's not just that we're not what we were before. It's that we're something new. It's that we're something new altogether. Husbands, you want to quit desiring other women? Become something else. Be a man who desires his wife. You want to quit desiring other women, start desiring your wife. Work on being godly. Work on being a better husband. Work on loving your wife and building a better relationship with her. By the way, I speak as somebody who is very far from arriving with that. But the best protection against adultery is to desire your wife and build a relationship with your wife and make her the queen of your life. Be something different. Children, you want to quit being rebellious against your parents, rebellious against your teachers, rebellious against everybody there is, rebellious against God. You want to be a child that's not a rebellious child? Can I tell you how to do that? Set a goal for your life that I'm going to be a child that constantly honors my mother and my father. Be something else. Don't just stop being what you are, but be something else. Don't just say, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be rebellious anymore. No, start being one that honors mom and dad. And the real reason that we should be burdened about wickedness is because we love the Lord. In fact, going back to that verse we saw just a moment ago, uh, in Psalm 97.10, ye that love the Lord hate evil. It's not just that we hate evil. It's that we love the Lord. And the more you feed on the word of God, the more your appetite is going to grow. I lived in, I lived in Massachusetts and there was a Portuguese sausage that you could get called linguiça. Amy, how was linguiça? <laughs> She's giving that. Anybody that was not raised there gives that same look. 
It's, a, it's the most disgusting thing on earth. It's such a strong sausage. I mean, it's just, it's strong, it's bitter, it's terrible. There's another form of it that they have that's actually pretty decent if you put it on pizza and stuff. But the main Portuguese form of that, that's disgusting. And you have to grow up eating that to like it. There's no other way in the world you could possibly like it than if you grew up eating it. And you grew up building an appetite for it. You know, if you eat a lot of God's word, you're going to have an appetite for spiritual things. If you watch pornography and uh, your appetite for pornography is going to grow. If you, if you put off wickedness, though, and you put on an intimate relationship with Christ, the object of your spiritual hunger will become righteousness. And so you have to put off, but you have to put on. You have to put on righteousness. I want to know is 30 the outcome for spiritual hunger. The outcome. There's a couple of things that if you're spiritually hungry, the Bible says you're going to have. The Bible says, first off, you'll be blessed. That word blessed means happy. Holiness is happiness. Now, we have to be careful that we do not equate holiness merely with separation from evil. If you do, you're going to have a miserable Christianity. You're not going to be happy. The unsaved person thinks that all that Christianity is, uh, is I don't, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I won't be with the people who do. Now, if your entire Christianity uh, model can be based on something that sounds like it's from Dr. Seuss, you might want to work on that better. It's important that we understand that blessed means happiness. We're happy people. Those who live in Christ are happy people. The person who's unhappy is the guy who goes to the parties and tells the dirty jokes and drinks more beer uh, than everybody else so he can impress everybody else. And if you ask him at the end of the day and if he was honest, he'd say, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Now, he may be dishonest and tell you I'm having the time of my life, but he's being dishonest. The man or woman at church is always gossiping and slandering and complaining about the church or complaining about the pastor. Can I tell you, that's not a happy person. The person always scheming to get their way and then spending scripture so that it sounds right is not a happy person. You know, separation is never the goal. Christ-likeness is the goal. Remember the Pharisees and Sadducees thought that having a, a regimental religion of laws and rules, that that was the ultimate goal. They're wrong. True holiness is being filled with his word, not for legalism, but for relationship. And I'm not diminishing standards. I have standards. But can I tell you that standards alone has never made anybody happy? Standards alone has never made anybody happy. I've never seen somebody who completely lives for standards and nothing else, and I've never seen them happy in their life. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the true reason for separation is because Christ is living through me. And if he can't be happy around sin, and he can't, then I won't be happy around it. You know, you can be a lot happier unsaved in sin than you can be saved in sin. You're miserable because because you're dragging the Holy Spirit of God with you on this. And if he's not happy, you're not going to be happy. He won't be happy at the, at the rock concerts. He won't be happy at the bar. He won't be happy watching filthy entertainment. An immature Christian lives a separate life merely to avoid chastening. 
but a mature Christian lives a holy life so that they could glorify God. It's a difference in motivation. And there are blessed rewards for those who live holy lives. Psalm 84.11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You're blessed. You're happy. But then the other outcome of, of, of holiness, the other outcome of spiritual hunger, is that you're filled. What does that mean? Well, when we went out with Pastor Mark and Miss Terry yesterday and we ate, I was done. In fact, I did not finish my meal because there was a point in eating my meal that I was filled. I was satisfied. I did not need any more. I was not hungry. In fact, the thought of eating more did not appeal to me until he said that there's an ice cream place, and then I realized I have room for more. (laughs) But ultimately, to be filled means to be satisfied. It means to be satisfied. It means to be controlled by something. There are men and women today who are controlled by alcohol and pornography and drugs and all kinds of things, and they're not satisfied. There's a difference between being filled and being in bondage. There are men and women who are controlled by money and success and ambition and education uh, and, and, and acceptance and popularity. And while these things are not bad and evil in and of themselves, they can be substitutes for the spirit-filled, Christ-filled life. And they won't satisfy you. If you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, you will be controlled by God. He will satisfy all of your deepest needs in ways that ambition and your need for acceptance could never do. In Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You know, there are a lot of people not satisfied when they awake. There are a lot of people not satisfied when they awake. They, they, they instead live in regrets and they live in guilt and, uh, you know, spiritual activity is good, but it doesn't take place of daily devotion with God. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha was real busy. In fact, busy trying to impress God. Busy trying to be impressive and make sure that the house is just right and everything's clean and everything's put away. And, and, and just, just busy, busy, busy trying to impress God while Mary just rested at his, on his lap. Just rested her head and just, just sat there and fellowshiped and just loved on him. And the Bible says, Jesus said, Mary have chosen that good part. That sweet fellowship, that sweet devotion. Martha is doing all she can, thinking the more busy I am, the more perfect my life can be, the more impressive my ministry can be, the more that I'm going to enjoy fellowship with God. But in fact, she missed fellowship with God. While Mary just enjoyed it. I'm not saying you should not do ministry. I'm not saying you should not get yourself busy. I'm not saying that you should not be involved in things. But I am saying this, don't miss the good part. Don't miss your time with Christ. Don't miss your time and devotion to him. You know, people who compare themselves with others are wrongly motivated. I see that in ministry all the time. Uh, where do they have that church? 
Well, we don't have that. We got to get that. I mean, we don't have enough workers for that, but, you know, I can take this guy who I've got doing 20 different things and have him add this so that we can keep up with that church. God's not impressed with that. God is not impressed with that. There is no true happiness or inner peace apart from Christ. We do not be, need to be motivated by, I have to, I have to outdo this person, and I have to outdo that person, and, and, and I have to have a better house, and I have to have a better car, and I have to, I, my, my life's gotta look better in front of everybody else than their life looks like. You've missed it all. God is a keeper of life. We need, we need to just give our life to Him. We need to just submit to him. We just need to let him do in our life what he desires to do and draw close to him and walk with him and let him make our life meaningful. You're going to fail making your own life meaningful. Let him do it. And he'll do it. He'll do it better than you could ever do. Father, we thank you so much for the time you've given us this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we see and and your beatitudes, Lord. What... What a powerful portion of scripture this is. I wish I had time to just go through all of them, Lord. But, Lord, I just pray now that you would help us to understand that we need and to desire to walk with you. And and, and to let you make us righteous. That we need to hunger after the righteousness that we see in Jesus Christ. That we find in the word of God. And that we would be satisfied with you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to hand